You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Chuse is a book critic for NPR's All Things Considered, a writer and a novelist. His latest novel is To Catch the Lightning, and his newest book is a collection of travel essays titled A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Again, my pleasure, Rick. Well, we have a fall preview of the big books of fall, three of the of the biggest, I would say. And this is, you know, I was thinking, you know, books and movies, they all kind of roll out the same uh, sort of genre in the fall, don't they? Well, you know, traditionally, the publishers bring out their supposed big guns in the fall, mm-hmm. every fall. But I think uh, they've, over the last 15, 20 years, that's kind of uh, flattened out into mm. a kind of all big guns for all seasons. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure why. Obviously, it has something to do with the fate of the, the book business, this b- bookstore business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, So they like to have some big books out in spring. They like to have big books out for summer. So it, it has kind of spread out. But... Um, you know, just from a writer's point of view, um, you know, I, I'm currently negotiating with my publisher about when my new novel is going to come out, and the question is, is it going to be a fall book or a spring book? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, some people will caution against trying to come out in the fall because there's always some huge best-selling writer or two coming out then, and you're competing mm-hmm. with them. Um so I made up my mind. So I, I, I don't have an answer to this question that I just posed. <laughs> now, are you going to be a spring writer? You'll, you'll be going up against Polonik, I think, traditionally. Well, this would be either fall 2010 or spring 2011. Mm. I, I'm kind of leaning towards the fall mm-hmm. just because I want to get the book finished and get it out there because there are other things I want to get to work on. Well, that's always a, a good thing. Now, uh, we have some, the the books this time around, are, I think, are particularly good. I, I really love the C.L. Doctorow. I thought that was yeah. just super, superb. Oh, I'm glad we agree. It's. Uh, I mean, it's beautifully written, It's it's and it's different from his other stuff, isn't it? Well, he confines his... Uh, his stage to basically to an, an apartment in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's different. And, I'll say. and a few moments in Central Park across from this apartment. But um, I mean, what a great opening sentence. I mean, it's the, the book. The book is called Homer and Langley, and it's a novel about the uh, based on the Collier brothers, mm-hmm. who were these famous hoarders mm-hmm. who lived long lives in Manhattan, and uh, when they died, it. Uh, the uh, police found, you know, 70 years worth of newspapers piled up. and 100 tons of moldering junk yeah. is the way it was described. In the novel, they, they disassemble uh, a, a Ford and reassemble it into the dining room <laughs> of their house. Uh-huh. Um, Homer and Langley, you know, it's, it's, it's an accident that one of the brothers is named Homer, but it's no accident that the opening line of this novel is just incredible. It begins, I'm Homer, the blind brother, <laughs> which, which is literally true. I mean, mm-hmm. it's ex- there's an extraordinary instance of how a novelist can take an incidental bit of information and turn it into a universal statement. <laughs> because this is a kind of uh, you know, epic about uh, the 20th century, mm-hmm. the American 20th century, 
these brothers hoard everything. Um, the, the Langley's uh, project is to make a kind of uh, universal newspaper. Uh, he's, he, he says uh, he wants to collect, well, his brother says, uh, my deduction, my deductive visions were in accord with Langley's major project, the collection of, da- of the daily newspapers with the ultimate aim of creating one day's edition of a newspaper that could be read forevermore sufficient to any day thereof. He, he, and Homer goes on to say he wants to fix America, his brother wants to fix American life finally in one edition, an eternally current dateless newspaper, the only newspaper anyone would ever need. <laughs> well, um, we're well on our way to that newspaper. It's called the Internet. <laughs> right. <laughs> But this, uh, but the novel is really what you get instead mm-hmm. of the, the universal newspaper. No, no, and, and it, I, I think the the prose in this is particularly beautiful. It, it's really uh, has a, a visionary feel to it. Is that visionary, true? but from a blind yeah. poet, right? I'm Homer, the blind brother. The blind brother. I yes. didn't lose my sight all at once. He says it was like the movies, a slow fade out, and the whole novel works that way, like mm-hmm. a slow fade out, except it's a big fade in <laughs> um, it's just it's an extraordinary uh, cross-section of American life that he opens our eyes onto you know he Langley was a World War one veteran and uh, we get the the fall of the stock market and the rise of the events that lead to World War two the Vietnam War uh, the shift from silent movies to to sound movies to television uh, and we, you know, we get uh, mobsters and and flower children, uh, prostitutes. And yep. Every cross section of of America walks through their apartment. It's a, it's kind of a in a way. I think it's almost an inversion of his normal style. Mm-hmm. And you know, rather than going out and being everywhere with yes. everyone, he yeah. brings them all inside. You're right. If you th- if you compare it to Ragtime, which is kind of you know as has been a musical, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, big stage musical with a lot of characters spread all over the place. This is many many characters compressed into uh, into one uh, Fifth Avenue apartment. It's it's the Beckett version <laughs> of E.L. Doctorow. But um, and you know how it turns out, yeah. right? Yeah, they yeah. live and they die. Yeah, well. so that's that's part of the epic mm-hmm. element of it. I mean, you know everything that happens in epic. It's not the how; it's the journey, but, but the why. Yeah. And so Homer and Langley is a really extraordinarily wonderful novel. Such resonance out of such compactness, I think. Was yeah, really it, it's nice, too, that I do really, I did really admire how compact it was, that, that it was, it was, it didn't, it had the, the feel and the breadth of an epic without the excess mass. Yes, really, I mean, Doctor is our reigning brilliant novelist. To go from that last book about the Civil War, now mm-hmm. to this, mm-hmm. from the broad stage of the South yeah. <laughs> to this uh, narrow uh, stage of the apartment and still make an extraordinarily broad and, and resonant novels are rather amazing. It's from Gone with the Wind to uh, The Apartment. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, speaking of the last half of the 20th century, we have John Irving bringing it to us in almost a Melville-like sense of detail in, in some ways. It reminded me. Yeah. With the Last Night on Twisted River is mm-hmm. almost 500 pages long, but it reads really quickly. Mm-hmm. It reads really, really very quickly. And uh, the character Irving has this amazing knack for uh, creating intimacy 
mm-hmm. with these uh, cranky and difficult uh, characters. It opens with um, this great shipment of logs down a river in, in rural New Hampshire, and this boy uh, takes one misstep, and he's, he falls under the logs and drowns in the river, and that sets off a chain of events that uh, oh, extends over uh, three or four decades. And, uh, and that same, in that same logging camp, uh, the main character, who becomes a, the novelist who writes this entire novel, um, commits manslaughter, mm-hmm. uh, all because of a bear. <laughs> he, st- he stumbles on his father, the cook in this logging camp, who is uh, in bed having, you know, having intercourse with um, this very large uh, Indian woman, Native American woman, and the boy in the dark hears them grunting and groaning and mistakes the incident for his father being attacked by a bear, which, you know, uh, the bears were roaming through this camp all the time. And so he takes up a frying pan from his f- father's uh, cook table and bonks the supposed bear on the head and turns out that it's this Indian woman, Indian Jane, who, uh, whom he kills. And they take off. And this proves to be the wife of somebody who's... Pursues. The girlfriend of the sheriff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yes, so the, this uh, sheriff, this uh, ignoramus of a of a, a rural sheriff, uh, takes on a kind of Javier uh, like persona. Persona. So it's, it's um, it reads like a version of Les Rob in, in a certain, <laughs> from a certain angle. I mean, hold it up to the light. It's a John Irving novel. But as you're reading, you know, this mm-hmm. the sheriff keeps after them and eventually. Well, I'm going to give it away, but uh, you got to keep reading to find yeah. out what happens. And that's terrific for you know it has that appeal of a commercial novel, even mm-hmm. though it's it's a it's basically a series of character studies and be- and beautifully written. One of the things that's nice about this novel is it does really have that big canvas and, and all the character studies that it really gives you. This is, uh, I think, in many ways, the inverse of. Homer, Homer and Langley. This mm-hmm. really does do the, all that kind of traveling that you almost expect in an E.L. Doctorow novel, but with that kind of the closeness of the characters, it, you, even the the unpleasant ones you really like, which is a, a real knack of a novel of a great novelist to to show you people that you if you met them you would dis, you would despise them. Well, or at least but, you'd have a hard time with them. Yeah, you, sure. you'd have tried to avoid them, but when you meet them in the novel, you're you're they're entertaining and compelling to read about yeah and 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 you know you get the uh the the big john irving motifs in this Mm -hmm. uh, questions of paternity questions of identity father-son relations um and uh he adds a a, another turn in this one about uh since the main character is a novelist who's constantly uh thinking out loud about how you write a novel how you write a good novel because um, that inadvertent act of murder that he commits is, is basically the wound that separates him from, from uh, mainstream society. And that's what festers in the novelist's wound is the ability to write novels. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have a collection of short stories by Sherman Alexie, won a National Book Award uh, for 
let me see if I make sure I get this right. The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian. Yeah, that's actually, that's his uh, young adult novel. Right. came out about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, quite autobiographical, I think, in that, well, he's always dragging in Indians who, who were born with uh, hydrocephalia or suspected of mm-hmm. being born with hydrocephalia. Uh, I mean, he had that problem when he was a kid, mm-hmm. an infant. Um, they, they didn't think he'd live, let alone live to write some wonderful stories and novels. These stories, um, the, the title of the whole collection is War Dances, and they're interspersed with about, oh, more than a dozen poems. Uh, not very good poems. Um, and the stories, none of the stories really can compare to the, the best work he's done in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what, the, the, the story that appeared in The New Yorker um, oh, six, seven years ago, called What You Pawn, I Will Redeem. I mean, just one of the best stories of the decade, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing in this collection up to that level. But that being said, um, you you can see him trying to branch out and write about situations that uh, don't usually come up when you're writing about the the life on the reservation. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the characters are Indian, some are not. Uh, and it's really interesting to watch him, try, you know, experiment with, uh, uh, you know, mainstream people, mainstream characters, and and their situations. Although, I, uh, you know, the the title story does focus on a on a main character who's a, who's an Indian who uh, murders a black kid uh, mm-hmm. in, an, in when the kid breaks into his house, and and uh, that's I would say that's one of the best stories in the collection. How you know, the, the the effect of having committed this act on his life is really quite interesting. That one was ran in the New Yorker, not not surprisingly, yeah, first. Right. And I, I think it's always interesting, too, when a, a publisher just actually even releases a collection of short stories because the the short story form is such a, a non-starter. Collections of short stories are somewhat non-starters when it comes to uh, the the literary world. They You'll get a good... You'll, you're likely to get a better reception with a collection of genre fiction, but well, but uh, you know, you may be right. But then I'm holding up two books here to the microphone that okay. may prove you wrong. One is uh, is just recently published uh, a collection of stories by a woman named Bonnie Jo Campbell mm-hmm. that uh, called American Salvage that came out uh, from the University of Michigan Press, uh, Michigan Writer Series. It's all the stories are set in Michigan. Uh, but, you know, she's a, a, certainly a national-class writer. Every story is set in this mythical Michigan town that's just drenched in methamphetamine. And, I mean, social relations are, are just absolutely collapsed to, to uh, the bare minimum. But, um, you know, she's a terrific writer. Uh, and, and, I mean, there's one story in here that is it's one of the most chilling moments that I've read in any story I've ever read. It, it's this, she gets the title from the story. It's called King Cole's American Salvage. It's about this kid, uh, you know, this low-level criminal who uh, robs this uh, junkyard owner, leaves him for dead in the snow, and comes back with all this cash that he had heard from the guy's nephew, he, the, the junkyard owner had kept on his body. And he, he let, me, let me read this. He... So he delivers this to his girlfriend. He tossed the cash in a bag of meth he'd bought onto the velvety cushion beside her. She's, her name is Wanda. She put her book down. There's your house payment, babe. Look at you, she said, but she was looking at the money. 
With two fingers, she lifted a $50 bill from the stack and held it away from herself. Willie, this money's covered with blood. Sorry about that. Slocum looked at his hands, which were also covered with blood. We can wash it in the sink, Wanda said. I mean, <laughs> that's horrific. Uh, I haven't found anything like that in any novel I've read in a decade. Um, I think, though, we're at the beginning of the a whole uh, deluge of uh, methamphetamine fiction. I think that we're going to hear a lot more about yeah. meth labs. I well, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, there's a young nonfiction writer named Nick Redding mm -hmm. uh, who's just uh, published a book called Methland, uh, which seems to me the, set the standard for studying the effect of meth on a small Midwestern town. I mean, it's really devastating mm. what this stuff does. But back, back to uh, stories... Leave it to another show to talk about meth. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, another collection, these stories by a woman named Lydia Peel, I think it's Peel, P-E-E-L-L-E, -E, who's a Boston transplant who lives in Nashville, uh, has published a collection called Reasons for and Advantages of Breathing. I think this comes out in a month or so. Um, First-rate first uh, prose writer. And, um, you know, last... Uh, spring, this guy uh, Wells Tower brought brought out a book called "Was It Everything Ravaged and Something or Other?" <laughs> I don't have that one in front of me. I mean, really, first-rate uh, prose stylist. So the, uh, you know, these are three books I can cite uh, that have come out within the last couple of months or will come out in the next month or so. Uh, and there's a great collection of stories by a guy named Kevin Canty. Uh -huh. title escapes right. me, but yeah. it's yeah. really he's, superb. He's a good Some writer. Stuff has, uh, uh, and this collection by Daniel Mawinadine, the Pakistani-American writer, um, called In Other Rooms, Other Wonders, that came out this spring. Uh, right, we talked about that earlier, right. which is a, uh, a lovely collection. So are you ready to admit that the short story is somehow miraculously no. still alive uh, and well? Oh, no, they're certainly alive. I just don't think that they get the, when they come out, I just think that they don't, tend to get the short shrift sales-wise and uh -huh. promotion-wise. Uh -huh. That, they, that uh, the, the buying public doesn't look at a collection of short stories in the same way that they look at a, at a novel in terms of like uh, wanting to grab it up. Uh-huh. That's probably true. Yeah, that's probably true. But people keep on writing stories. Oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt. That, that never stops, which is good because uh, the short story form, you can do things with a short story that you just absolutely cannot do in a novel. And it's just a different reading experience, which is not a nice It's also a different experience. writing experience. I mean, the, there's, you, you, one gets great satisfaction from having written a story in, say, three to five weeks, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to writing a novel, which can take years. Mm. At least always takes me years. Maybe some people write it in a shorter period of time. I always think of, uh, uh, you know, a story is a date, a novel is a marriage, or at least a very long affair. <laughs> Well, dates can be very memorable. And, and the uh, short, story, short, short story, what is that? A one-night stand? A <laughs> one-night stand. Uh, that's that's uh, close the office door. <laughs> I've been speaking with Alan Chews. His newest book, novel, is To Catch the Lightning. His it comes out in paperback in October. Comes out in paperback in October. And his newest book is a collection of travel essays called Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan. My pleasure, Rick.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.